0: In the week that saw filming for this year's Love Island begin, a guy have his card declined in the first date's restaurant, and Simon Cowell went vegan, this is Series Linked. I'm Emma Bullymore from the TV Times, and this is Mark Jeffries from The Mirror. Hiya, Jeffers. Hey, how's it going? Good, thank you. Well, on this week's episode of the podcast, dedicated to everything on the box that's both on and in demand, the one and only Susanna Reid will be with us in the studio... We'll talk about the return of Bake Off and Carl Pilkington chooses his box set to watch before you die. You're listening to Series Linked, the podcast for TV fans, by TV fans. Hi Jeffers, how are you doing?
3: I'm really good, yeah. I'm, bit achy? I'm, I'm relieved. I've finally finished all the marathon training. It's done and dusted this out the way. I can concentrate on my main love of just watching telly from now on and putting my feet up, yeah.
0: And you've got the perfect excuse because, you know, you've done enough exercise for about six years, No, you can just sit and watch the box.
3: I can watch what I want. I can eat what I want as well for a little while and then I'll put all the weight back on. But yeah, it's not a bad position to be in at the end of April. I'm pretty happy, yeah.
0: Amazing. Let's get into some telly because Vicky McClure, who we're all watching in Line of Duty, we're all obsessed with, she's got a kind of, well, not a spin-off show, it's a totally different show, but she's got her own project called Vicky McClure, My Dementia Choir. We've spoken about this briefly before. Set it up for anyone who doesn't know about it.
3: Yes, so it's uh, BBC One Thursday nights, eight o'clock as a two-parter. And it is a very different tone, it's a very different role for Vicky. One of the first times I guess she's probably hosted a factual show, certainly that I know about, and it's all about the power of music and what what music can do for dementia sufferers. What Vicky's doing is, uh, in and around, sort of I think, Nottingham, where she's from, she sets up and creates a choir, and for a lot of these people it's the first time they've sung or first time they've actively got involved in a choir. And also, I think it's good that it gets some of them maybe out of the house and doing something new and it, it seems to spark some great memories, spark some great stories, and it's a really, really emotional watch. I don't know about you, but, it, but I shed a few tears. It, there's a few laughs in there as well, but it's, it's basically d- dementia sufferers, and that it's really hard to watch at times, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I mean, I would generally avoid anything with dementia in the title, to be honest. Do you remember um, there was that drama Care a little while ago with Sheridan Smith? I, I had to watch that for work and really didn't want to. I think it's... Dementia is so cruel in a way that nothing else is, and it's really hard. So I kind of sat down to watch this thinking, oh, God. But actually, Vicky McClure is you know, this is her first time presenting as far as I know and so you didn't know what she was going to be like but she's so warm and so genuinely passionate about what she's doing and it is a personal story. You know, this isn't just let's give her a project, you know, it is based where she lives. She talks about the fact that she lost her grandmother to dementia um, and it does feel very personal. So actually, although it was very sad in places and it is, it is uplifting and it's also scientifically quite interesting to see how, you know, at a time when people are losing the power of them of their brain, actually music it's not necessarily able to reverse it, but it's able to kind of give you a few moments back with that person. That's what they were trying to say. So that's really interesting. And then the human interest side of it is, you know, really, I think they've, they've chosen really good participants. There's one couple where the guy has early onset dementia and that is really heartbreaking, but it's, they're very articulate and very able to speak about the condition and it's, it's really interesting as well.
3: That's one of the big things you think of dementia and I generally think of older people certainly people perhaps at retirement age and there is a young couple they're engaged and it's happened he's got dementia and he, he's still very young he's got a young child and that's a different aspect a really sad aspect actually is seeing them cope with this dementia at such a young age and then there's lots of different sort of families, different groups, and that you see the, the, the different levels of dementia they've got, and also the different reactions to music for some of them. They really do come to life in that room when they're with the choir, and some of them can me- remember from week to week practices, other, other ones almost don't remember they've been there the week before, and there's also sort of a struggle with remembering enough of the the words for the songs, and it's all going to culminate, I think, at the end of the second episode with a big sort of concert. And I think that's going to be, I've only seen the first one, I think that's going to be a really enjoyable watch and a much happier watch than some of the other scenes. I also really hope from Vicky's point of view, this maybe is going to prompt another series. and I'd really like to see other choirs being sort of developed around the country, because it seems to be a really positive thing for dementia sufferers. So. It's it's a great TV program, and also I think it could be sort of the start of a really great campaign that Vicky's kicked off here.
0: It's kind of amazing that she's managed to wrestle this show off Gareth Malone. Not not that he was necessarily in the frame, but he does all of the choir shows, and he would have been great on this. But Vicky's, you know, I wasn't, I didn't really know what to expect, and I thought she was brilliant.
3: It's mainly perhaps due to that her grandmother having dementia. Um, she passed away in 2015, so there is that real connection to it. So it's a real passionate project for her as well. So whether she, it would be the same if it was someone who didn't have that family connection, I'm not sure. But but it's a perfect fit for Vicky, I think.
0: But sometimes actors, you know, people who aren't presenters, look a bit uncomfortable in that role. But what's great, she's kind of got that sort of Davina touch about her, that she's able to talk to the contributors and immediately make it feel like she's friends with them and she's there for them, but she lets them shine. She doesn't try to sort of... Uh, you know be the hero of the piece a couple of times she says well, don't look at me it's not about me go and talk to them so i think i think it's you know all credit to her maybe martin compson could do one next and then adrian dunbar the week after
3: yeah i think the key is they've got to have it's got to be relevant hasn't mm. it there's got to be the right connection i think um vicky wouldn't have chosen this or wouldn't have, wouldn't taken this on if it, if she didn't have the connection and she's yeah she's a great presenter i'd, I'd love to see her doing more serious more factual stuff now i think
0: Brilliant. Okay, thumbs up from us. Watch it. And it's it's not too harrowing. Yeah, It is uplifting as well. Let's talk about Bake Off, or more specifically, Bake Off The Professionals. Are you a fan of this in general, Jeffers?
3: I must admit, I didn't watch much of this last time. It, it doesn't have the same sort of Impact uh, around people talking about it as the main show. This is Tuesday nights eight o'clock. I think actually you could watch this on catch up on 4 a few days afterwards. And you know, no one at work's going to be spoiling the result of this one, are they? Who's gone or who's got who's got through and that kind of thing. In that sense, if you like the bake off process, I think it's probably still worth watching. It doesn't have quite the same jeopardy for me i don't feel quite the same connection with with the contestants because they are professionals they've not been at home sort of practicing in their little kitchens but uh,
0: their careers on the line their reputation
3: that, that's true and, and the good thing is uh, my other worry watching in this first one is, i thought is it all going to be completely perfect is it all going to be almost too nice because then it's a bit like it doesn't feel like watching bake-off but thankfully not for them but there are some real mess-ups real some real shocking uh, attempts at these cakes and for me that makes it a bit more watchable what, what did you think
0: It is a strange programme because I should love it and yet I just kind of quite like it. I I don't really know what's holding me back from getting really obsessed with it Uh, because they have Cherish and Benoit are the judges and they're so over the top. Cherish is, you know, instead of just saying, no, that's not very good, Kate. She said, this is not acceptable. I, I, you know, I did not enjoy this. Basically, Get out of my sight. This is absolutely horrendous behavior, You're presenting me with this Eclair that's too small.
3: There's one she actually, I think, refuses to taste because it, <laughs> because she thinks it's that bad, which, I mean, you can't imagine it on the normal bake-off, can you? Like, they'd feel sort of pity for them. They'd at least, like, break off a little bit. But she's like, no, I'm not having that. It's, it's rubbish. Move on. Next one.
0: And Benoit is like, every sort of comedy caricature of a frenchman you've ever seen like he, apart from the string of onions or whatever he's so french sometimes they, like genuinely struggle to understand what you're saying um so between the two of them they're, they're quite the comedy pair she does sometimes get her ruler out to check you know that how big the cakes are all that kind of stuff so but i kind of like all that pantomime like, i think that adds to it and um, i sort of really understand the incentive to go on the show because no one seems to do very well they just slay absolutely everyone
3: and that's one of the good things, I suppose, is the, the level of co- the quality of the sort of competitors. There's Michelin stars flying around everywhere when they're sort of promoting them. And they're all at very sort of uh, profitable and, and five star hotels and that kind of thing. So I guess if you do well, it, it rubber stamps that and maybe people are going to go and have afternoon tea at, at that hotel. But as you say, there's there's a lot of mistakes and a lot of errors. And I can't imagine there are that many sort of mistakes happening in their hotel so there is a bit of jeopardy in in terms of their profit margins i guess what about the host i noticed they're quite a different style to Noel and sandy as well what do you, It's liam charles and tom allen what, what what do you think about them
0: yeah i think that's also where it falls a little bit short to be honest i really like tom allen and as an interview he's really funny and fun and liam charles was a guy who was on bake off and everyone fell in love with him you know he was the people's favorite that year brilliant and they get on very well together. So you think, well, what could possibly go wrong? Um, but Tom, I think, struggles to connect with the contestants. He's neither so acerbic that he's hilarious, nor is he cuddly. Liam is more cuddly, but I, don't, I think his personality came across better as a contestant than as a presenter. You know, it works having comedians. Look at Joe Lycett on Sewing Beer. I think he's really brought loads and loads to that role. Noel also, and Sandy, obviously, on Bake Off proper. They do really well. But I just think, I don't know, what do you think?
3: I think they've got a really tough act to follow, haven't they? I, I really like Noel Fielding and Sandy. They're never going to compete with them. or never, It's very unlikely that they're going to get similar hosts or, or hosts that are as big personality-wise as them they're just okay for me they're they're doing a a fairly solid job and i think that's probably the case with the whole show it's not it's something i might watch if it was on but it's not something i'm going to sort of be rushing home to watch or anything like that it's a little bit like with masterchef and that you have masterchef the professionals i've never really quite got into that one as much i don't feel myself rooting quite as much for the contestants as i do in the in the way of the normal sort of joe public and so it, it's it's an okay thing to watch and, and obviously some of the creations are absolutely incredible because they've got such a great level of skill, but it doesn't really blow me away in the way that the, the normal Bake Off can some weeks.
0: Right. Well, she's a lady who has to spend every single morning with Piers Morgan, or nearly every single morning, and she's the queen of breakfast television. I'm so glad she's here. It's Susanna Reid.
4: Yay! Just like to point out, not every single morning. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I am allowed to spend weekends without him, (laughs) and um, I don't work Friday mornings, and he doesn't work Thursday mornings, so... uh, It could be a lot worse then. Honestly, (laughs) it's a small proportion of my mornings (laughs) are spent alongside Piers Morgan. And he comes in fairly late. Right, so yeah, he, <laughs> uh, honestly, the studio's around the corner from where he lives. I don't know how he organized that because ITV obviously moved from the South Bank to Television Center, my old home uh, where I used to broadcast in a different role for the BBC. Um, but I mean, you know, it's two and a half minutes from where he lives, um, and a little bit of a longer journey for me, and also he thinks he doesn't need quite as much hair and makeup help. Sure. <laughs> Don't know if we should point out to him, perhaps he does. But I come in a little earlier because in the world of television, the ladies require a few more applications from the trowel.
3: And does that mean sometimes when the show starts, he's not quite had his full slap on? Does he look a bit shiny for the first half an hour?
4: Do you know what? He goes in with a kind of a couple of minutes to spare, and they manage to make him look presentable. I mean, all (laughs) credit to the hair and makeup team, you know. And uh, there's always a slight panic when we're sitting down uh, just before six because quite often he hasn't made it into the studio at the same time as the rest of us. But he loves that Jeopardy; absolutely loves it. And I think, to be honest, one of the great things about the dynamism of Good Morning Britain is, actually, if he wasn't there at six, it's not that we'd, I mean, obviously we'd miss him, but it's part of the kind of drama of the show, isn't it? It's part of the, you know, if he came in a couple of seconds late, we'd make it part of the programme.
0: And this episode is dropping basically on the fifth anniversary of Good Morning Britain by, by about a day. Yeah. And you said critics said, oh, never last. I remember the tabloids were really excited about trying to slag it off at the time and look at you now. So, yeah. I mean, it must be a really nice moment to reflect.
4: I I kind of uh, compare it to one of those awful scenes where those little seal pups kind of make their way out onto the beach and they get clubbed. You know, it's that absolutely the critics were, were out to get us. And I remember that launch uh, back in 2014. Um, and it just felt like, you know we had to have nerves of steel to make sure that you know we plowed on and produced the absolute best show we could and um we proved all the critics wrong and 5 years later happy anniversary to us which is fantastic absolutely
0: because also they're out for you specifically as well because you'd been so bbc before perceived in that way
4: um, there was always that thing wasn't there about people moving uh, and making that transition but um You know, it's worked, and I'm so happy. You know, I was really happy doing what I did back at the BBC. I'm really happy doing what I do at ITV. I'm very lucky to, you know, have made that move and uh, and for it to have been so successful. So yeah, it's it's great, and I'm still friends with all my friends over at BBC Breakfast, despite Piers's best efforts (laughs) to put a wedge between us and um, and them. Just
3: one more on that. Looking back now, I guess there's a bit of time that's gone past. What, what do you remember? Was It a really? It was obviously a big decision, but were you particularly nervous on, on the first day? Do you remember being really nervous or did you just want to get on with it? Because there was a bit of a gap between you sort of being on BBC and then moving across, wasn't there? A few months, I remember.
4: There was. Um, I remember being just really excited. I mean, when I look back, you know, it was such a massive opportunity to launch uh, a new show in that slot for ITV. I'd just come back from uh, the tour of Strictly. I'd finished up in Salford for BBC Breakfast. The whole Strictly journey had been so exciting. You know, I was really kind of... I was just enjoying a really kind of dynamic time in my life. Obviously, other stuff was going on as well. But I was really excited to be starting on this new project. And I remember sitting down on that very first morning and Ben Shepherd said... He looked at me and he said, enjoy it because you never get a second chance to do this again. And I just thought that is absolutely right. You know, people say you never get the second chance to make a first impression. But it's something very special about launching a programme, you know, you never you're never going to have that whole programme again so just go out there and enjoy it and we absolutely did it's great.
3: And what would be some of the highlights for you you've obviously been recently BAFTA nominated I guess they would definitely be amongst the highs. but any others that from through your minds?
4: We've been so lucky and honoured with the awards actually because yeah BAFTA nominated we got an RTS nomination for the first time we were nominated for a national television award so yeah we've been really really lucky with the awards and then I, I won the trick journalist of the year presenter of the year awards uh, the very first year and the National Reality Television Awards had a clutch of those as well so you know obviously viewers are loving it because they're flocking to the programme in ever greater numbers we're at a record high in terms of the numbers of people watching the show the numbers of people you know the share of the audience at that time of the morning you know we've reached our kind of five year high and that is just so gratifying what you want to do is make a programme that people love People want to watch. More and more people want to watch. And everybody's talking about, you know, I would have to say, it's the noisiest live television programme on air at the moment.
0: Lots of people would say, how can she bear to sit next to peers? You know, often you kind of roll your eyes at him on air. What is it like, that relationship off camera?
4: Well... The very first time I was told I was going to be working with Piers Morgan and the editor came into my dressing room to to break the news to me. And I said, are our microphones still on? Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it would be better if you muted the microphone so that, you know, the gallery and the all the crew behind the scenes don't hear my reaction. But he is a brilliant, dynamic part of the team. And, you know, he's... He's somebody who's provocative and opinionated. He can't stand it when anybody, particularly me, sits on the fence. Uh, He's not neutral about anything. He doesn't care if he offends people. He loves to wind people up, which is not me at all. But I think that the balance works really well, because if you had two people like that, I think it would be unbearable. So even though he, you know has a go at me for, oh, you don't you know you're a bit of a snowflake and you're woke about this and you're sensitive about that and you're sitting on the fence, I think actually you need someone just to sort of level out that outrage. And so actually, I think that professionally and on air, the viewers love the partnership, and they clearly do. Because, you know, as I say, that more and more viewers are watching the programme. Personally, we get on really, really well. I consider him, you know, and, and have done right from early on, you know, a really good friend. What I miss is him as a drinking partner because Piers loves his red wine and I don't drink anymore. So that part of the relationship where we used to go out all night uh, has gone. Uh, but it does mean I'm a little bit fresher and more uh, awake in the morning.
0: So he's provocative and feisty without the alcohol. After <laughs> loads of red wine, he must be full of it.
4: Yeah, he. Um, the thing about Piers is actually, I don't think there's any change in him. Whether you're on air, off air, whether he's had a couple of glasses, whether he's you know stone cold sober, he is absolutely what you get all the time. You know, he's a kind of, you know, he'd start a fight in an empty room you know in terms of opinions you know he's not afraid of of, he's not backward about coming forward
3: and what about if you win the BAFTA do you think you have a glass of champagne then
4: oh that's a really good question because of course you know when it came to the NTAs I'd said that I'd get absolutely blind drunk for the first time in months and I was so relieved that we didn't win the NTA because then I didn't have to um, break my my sobriety yes you know what if we won a BAFTA I mean, if you're not going to have a glass of champagne after you win a BAFTA, then you're not enjoying your life, are you?
3: In the last week or so, you've been hosting without Piers. Obviously, he's been off. I just wonder mm-hmm. for you, do you notice a really big difference in the dynamic? Do you manage to get more questions away, that kind of thing?
4: Yeah, it's nice to hear the sound of my own voice. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> in lots of ways, I am I miss that dynamic. And in lots of ways, I'm happy that there is an opportunity to, you know, work with different people. And I've worked with so many different co-presenters because I've you know been doing this now for 20 years or so. So it, it's always lovely. And I mean, what has been particularly lovely is I'm working with an absolute legend in the form of Richard Madeley. And Richard Bacon, I've never co-presented before. We did actually do a pilot show years and years and years ago but actually never ended up presenting a show together. So that's what's so brilliant about Piers taking so much time off so get to work <laughs> with other people. I love it.
3: And just one more question about him. I don't, I don't want to talk about Piers too much. Do you ever think he goes too far? I mean, in terms of both the question of other people when he's ribbing you or maybe asking you a few vaguely personal questions. Of course, you-
4: he goes too far every single morning. Absolutely. I always say there's a line there and you are so way beyond it. But that's part, of the, that's part of the drama of the programme. People you know, say to me, how far can he go before you actually snap? Um, well, we haven't got there yet. <laughs> yet. <laughs> um, but you've been doing this for a long time and it mm. is
0: early. You have yes. to get up so early. Do you ever think, "Oh, I just cannot do this anymore? I can't set this alarm for this time anymore? Or have you just got used to it?
4: I'm so used to it now because I have been doing it for a very, very long time. And it is just part of my life. Although, having said that, after the long Easter bank holiday, when the alarm went off at three fifty on Tuesday morning, I did do that thing where you go, "Why is that? What's that noise? And where's it coming from?" <laughs> and almost switched off before I remembered. Oh no, that's because you got to get up and present a program. The only way I can get through it because it is like being on permanent jet lag, unless you have a nap. And I have a nap during the day, and you've got to keep yourself well rested, you've got to keep yourself well fed, and. You know, not kind of over snack to kind of build up your energy, um, but I think I've got it down to a fine art now.
0: I'm sure you have, because <laughs> not relying on just having a coke or having something with sugar in it, just kind of
4: yeah, you can't really. Otherwise, you would. You know, I did find I was just putting on extra pounds because I was thinking, how do I just get that energy back? And that isn't a very healthy way to deal with it. And you can't have too much caffeine either, because of course, you know, you've got to go to bed at a reasonably sensible time in order to get up the next day. So yeah. But, you know, it's a fantastic job. I do genuinely wake up every morning going, that's brilliant, I'm going to work. You know, even though it's early, I don't think, what am I doing? I just am really excited because the programme is so dynamic. It changes, you never know what's going to happen. You know, we had breaking news this morning about the climate change protesters gluing themselves to the London Stock Exchange. You know, you have all sorts of really interesting interviews. We had Barry George's sister on the 20th anniversary of Jill Dando's murder. You know, you know, you've got that little bit of light and shade. Never know what Richard Arnold's going to do. I have no idea what Piers or my co-presenter is going to throw at me in the morning. So, you know, it never gets dull. Never, ever, ever. I think that would make it hard to get out of bed. But the fact that you just have no idea what's going to face you in the morning makes it really exciting.
0: we touched upon the BAFTAs earlier, but we talked about it being a popular programme. But isn't it nice to get that recognition that the journalistic integrity of the programme as well? Because sometimes I think maybe that's people don't realise how much work goes into it and the interviews and and all of that kind of side of it.
4: I think that's a really good point because it's for the, the nomination is for news coverage. And there are four nominees in that category and two of them are for our programme. So, you know, that is pretty extraordinary. One of them for our special on knife crime and one of them for uh, the Thomas Markle interview, you know, an an exclusive. And um, I think it is a recognition of all the hard work that goes into the programme, securing those kind of exclusive headline-making interviews. And also with the knife crime, that ability that we have over the course of a programme to really dig into an issue and speak to a lot of different voices... And not just do a sort of five-minute chat, but really a a big panel and an extended discussion, which the viewers are absolutely gripped by. So, yeah, absolutely I'm proud of what we've done and I'm proud of that recognition.
3: And at the other end of the scale, you're being used in comedy as well, Susanna, so... Uh, Susanna Fielding who played Jenny Gersham in uh, the new Alan Partridge this time she said she based, based her almost her whole character on you she said I did study quite a lot of Susanna Reed's straight face indignation
4: the eye uh, rolls yeah, women, the exasperation w- women who
3: are desperately trying to not look disappointed that uh, they're with their on screen partner so I mean what did you think about that
4: I'm never disappointed I have to say with my on screen partner but yeah I did recognise some of the facial expressions I have to say <laughs> it's very flattering to be sort of channelled as a muse for um <laughs> (laughs) for a comedy but um, Piers likes to point out that we're so beyond parody I mean people you know so many people watch it and they can get the real thing that perhaps that comedy show wasn't as successful as it might have been but um, I think she does an absolutely terrific job and I watched and and definitely laughed
3: what do you think Piers thought of being I guess compared to Alan Partridge in that sense
4: yeah I'm not sure that he was terribly
0: flattered (laughs) by that And you've also have been doing documentaries as well. You did this fantastic piece on Joanna Danahay. Yeah. A, amazing that you find the time, but B, what
4: a great thing to be able to do. Is I'm really lucky to be able to balance my live work with some more in-depth documentary work as well. So And there's more of that coming up because the crime and punishment season on ITV, you know, it's a, it's such an interesting strand to work on. You know, you have a case or an issue and you can just spend a little bit of time looking at that. So I was... Uh, looking at Joanne Dennehy, and it, it's still on the um, ITV uh, hub so that people can see it absolutely shocking case of uh, one of only three women in the British prison system who was given a whole life sentence in jail because she's considered uh, so dangerous and her crime so appalling she murdered three uh, men and then went out on you know a stabbing spree where she attempted to kill two others but what's so kind of shocking and and appalling about her is firstly she seemed to get a kick out of stabbing men and these three men that, that she murdered stabbing them through the heart but also the way that she just laughed and joked and flirted her way through her arrest It's extraordinary seeing her in, uh, you know, at the police station. She's playing with her hair. She's acting like she's at a bar with these police officers. But she has this utterly kind of compelling charm. And you can see how people were drawn into her web. Um, So she was a really interesting character to look at.
3: And I think I know the answer to this, Susanna, but I remember asking many years ago if you'd do Strictly and you said yes and you ended up on Strictly. But but I presume the, the route you're going down, how you're doing these documentaries, obviously doing fantastically well on GMB, you wouldn't ever consider doing another one of those. I'm sure they're asking you to go on dance on ice, those type of things.
4: Yeah, I don't. Um, I don't have any plans for any of that. Strictly was something that I, I'd always wanted to do. Such a. At that point, it, you know, it, it was a kind of something that Natasha had done, and you know, we just looked like a really lovely little bit of sparkly fun and excitement to to add to my life, and it was amazing. But right now, I am. So involved in the other work that I'm doing, I just don't think I'd have time. I mean, strictly, I hadn't realised really how much time it would would absorb. You know, I used to do the programme up in Salford, BBC Breakfast, and then I'd spend all day rehearsing, and then of course you'd spend all day Friday and Saturday in the studio preparing and doing the strictly show and then sunday would be a sort of the one day that you'd have off it was it was hugely time consuming and kind of took over every single part of your life really
0: and you got a long way through the competition so it's
4: you know months and months isn't yeah it? all the way to christmas and yeah. then of course it finishes and you're just like oh what <laughs> happened what happened then it's quite extraordinary and then there was the strictly tour which is a completely different experience but you know also great fun
3: I think you mentioned that on Loose Women but as far as you're concerned you're, you're good friends with Kevin he, yeah. he seems to be getting quite a bad rap at the moment is that fair?
4: Yeah he. Um, so what I said you know because obviously I'm drawn into that a little bit as well because I danced with Kevin I was his first dance partner and of course after Strictly ended my relationship broke up but I mean I've always said that 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 was just on the cards, unfortunately, and um, had nothing to do with Strictly. And so I describe that as a Strictly coincidence, not the Strictly curse. And the break of my relationship had nothing to do with Kevin. Kevin and I, you know, were dance partners and friends and remain friends, you know, to this day. And I'm obviously extremely good friends with my ex. So there was absolutely no issue there. And, you know, he is... Kevin, you know, seems to be at the moment in the headlines. But I mean, you know, there's so often stories that come out as strictly and they feel like they're terrible at the time if you're involved. But eventually the headlines move move on and, and, you know, onto something else and they will.
3: And the one reality thing I guess you are going to be involved in is this summer you're, you're going to be a manager in Soccer Aid. Can you tell us a bit more about that?
4: Yeah. So that's the Soccer Aid for UNICEF. It's going to be at Stamford Bridge. I am the co-manager of the England Eleven and uh, with Sam Allardyce, who luckily knows what he's doing. (laughs) We're up against a World Eleven managed by one Piers Morgan. He also has someone who knows what they're doing, thankfully. And that is Harry Redknapp, of course, King of the Jungle. So that's going to be great fun the
0: hopes of a nation rest on your shoulders, Susanna. I mean, what are you going to bring to this this role?
4: I'm going to be wearing a waistcoat. (laughs) Um, And I'm going to be really enthusiastic. So my tactic is uh, a very sophisticated footballing tactic. I want all the people at the front to go and score some goals. (laughs) And I want all the people at the back to stop goals going in. That
0: feels like a strong strategy. Yeah, I
4: think so. And, And the key is we're going to score one more than them. Yeah. And that's that's the winning strategy.
3: I think you're doing yourself a bit of a disservice, and I know you're a big Crystal Palace fan. You go watch a lot of the games. I think you've helped out with some of the women's football there occasionally. You, you, you'll be quite a good coach, I think.
4: Well, I, you know, you're very kind. Let's just let's just hope that you're right. And actually, because Crystal Palace have done brilliantly, record seventh season in the in the Premier League, and we just beat Arsenal. So uh, at the moment, all the omens are good. All the omens are good.
0: And if you do have a spare minute, what would you watch on the telly? Do
4: you know what? Um, I never got into Game of Thrones, but uh, one of my sons is a massive fan. And I just thought, it's the last season. Everyone talks about it. There's quite a lot of chat about it on the programme. It's one of those things which is constantly there in in the ether, isn't it, when it's on. We had the Iron Throne in the Good Morning Britain studio. And I thought this season, it seems a little late to the party, but I thought this season I really need to get into it. So actually, I've just watched the second episode of Game of Thrones. And yes, completely hooked. Completely hooked. Second Uh, episode of this series or from the very beginning? No, (laughs) Uh, I did. Do you know what? I did try to go from the very beginning and then I looked... My son said, you're going to be sitting in front of the television for so many hours, you probably won't even get to work. So I, I did that thing where I watched the one-and-a-half-hour catch-up programme, uh, which they very kindly put together. So I feel like I just about know enough to be able to watch this season so yes i'm episode two into season eight
3: would you get to binge watch stuff or do you ever sort of watch four or five episodes over a weekend of something or do you tend to not have time to even do that and is and is it mainly dramas that you you would watch to relax
4: you know what i don't watch a huge amount because i'm either prepping for making my own programs or the kids are you know using the tv for either playing a game or watching their own stuff the funny thing is Now I've got into Game of Thrones, I'd actually quite like to binge watch this season. But of course, they haven't done it like that, have they? They haven't released it as a box set. So I'm having to do the old fashioned thing, which is I'm doing this with my fingernails going. I want the next one to come out. So I'd like to binge watch it. Yeah.
0: Brilliant. Thank you so much for being here, Susanna. Absolutely lovely. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. You're listening to Series Linked. If you're enjoying the podcast, make sure you've subscribed and tell your friends where to find us too.
1: Hello, podcasters. Are you hungry? I am. Well, actually, I always am. That's why I'm doing a new series called Out to Lunch with Jay Rayner, where I take interesting people to eat in a restaurant I reckon they'll like. I've spent my career interviewing over the dinner table. You just find that people relax more when they're being pelted with fine wines and being fed ample food. So in this first series, I'll be breaking bread with a whole bunch of people, including Richard E. Grant. Like a multiple-rolling gastronomic orgasm. Mel C, Stanley Tucci, Tracy Ullman and Jamie Dornan. Out to lunch with Jay Rayner. Subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts. You know you don't want to miss an episode.
0: So last week saw the return of what I think is an underrated gem. I love it. This is Richard Iowardi's Travel Man, where he and a comedian friend go traveling for 48 hours. They kind of take a little sideways look at a place. It's on all four if you want to check it out. Actually seems like you don't really have a TV career if you're a comedian and don't have a a travel series of some sort. You know, Jack Whitehall, Russell Howard, Dara, they're all off, all off exploring the world at the other license payers expense or, you know, whoever, commercial broadcaster. Let's move comedians to one side. But Jeffers, my big question to you this week is what sort of perhaps more unlikely person from the box would you like to see record a travel series?
3: Well, I've had a quick think on this and I'm going to go into the soap world. I'm going to pick, he seems to be BBC's flavour of the month anyway. So I think Danny Dyer would be pretty good. Yes. We've had him sort of looking at Family Tree and various aspects of that and he's had to travel a bit for that. But I'd like the idea of him, a straightforward travel log with him, maybe going really somewhere culturally very different for him. And I think he would th- throw himself in and, and get involved. And I think he'd be quite decent.
0: Even at the airport, it'd be hilarious. Talking yeah. about the queues and duty free or whatever. Yeah, I'm in. I'm watching.
3: And the other thing, I think we've mentioned loads of comedians. I think there's a big problem that there's not been enough uh, women comedians who get these travelogues it seems to be a very male skewed thing and so I would like to see Phoebe Waller-Bridge do one as well it's you just, just
0: would like to see Phoebe Waller-Bridge do anything I, let's face it
3: I just basically want her on TV more and I feel like this is a good way to get her in I think it would be quite interesting to see see more about her personally obviously we've seen with Fleabag some characteristics of her but I'd like to see the real her and I'd like to see her Travel anywhere she wants. To be honest, she can she can pick wherever we'll pay for it. Um, <laughs> Just to yeah. scunt up. If if she wants to do this, I'll get it commissioned somewhere. So if she's listening, she you know wh- wherever she wants she to go. She you. Yeah. What about you? What ideas have you got?
0: For me, I was thinking keely horse
3: very good yeah
0: because the Dorals is coming to an end and i associate her now with these beautiful greek islands and she does the voice for that travel company oh, when you get in the little shuttle to the other terminal it's keely horse chatting away so i associate her with travel now she's sort of the new joanna lumley and she's very well spoken and she makes everything interesting and she's brilliant nominated for two baftas national treasure let's send keely out
3: if itv are listening i think it would be a perfect fit for them they can replace the Dorals with sort of an eight-part tr- keely horse travel log great
0: amazing let's talk about a couple more shows now everyone is watching Bonding what can you tell us about this it's not safe for work FYI
3: no but it's great for like a commute but I guess the only problem is you might have to keep the screen a bit close to your chest or whatever because it is about sort of dominatrix S&M it's quite a dark comedy so it's not, it's not too in your face in terms of the sexual content and it's also all the episodes are sort of 16-18 minutes long which I think is quite a new new thing certainly not something I've been across before i think i think is, this might be the shape of some tv to come i think we're going to see 18 15 20 minute episodes of things and they're going to be almost built for that sort of you can watch it in snatches or if you want to binge watch it you can watch sort of five six episodes in two hours so yeah it's an M sort of type theme it's uh, all about a student who's called tiff she's a dominatrix sort of almost like a trainee dominatrix and it's about her gay best friend called pete he's really skinned and he kind of ends up unwittingly getting involved in her world he doesn't really want to but he's very short of cash so he gets involved and it's sort of like the things they get up to humorous and otherwise and and the sort of customers they get So so it's quite funny it's it's quite light considering it's such a serious subject and it seems to look at different aspects of, I suppose, the S&M world for each episode. It's not really like anything I've seen before, I don't think. What, what did you make of it?
0: It's sort of, I mean, it didn't remind me of sex education, but there's definitely parallels. Yes, good point. In yeah. that it's about some people who are so au fait with all these crazy sexual things and others who are just a bit bewildered and don't want to be part of it because her best friend doesn't really want to be involved, but he needs some money. So he needs to be there and help her out. Yeah, I thought it was quite watchable. And because, like you say, it's a bite-sized chunk, I wasn't thinking, oh, my God, I'm obsessed. But I could easily see how he could roll into the next episode, roll into the next episode, and then it's done. The whole series has been watched. I thought it was fun. It's really nice to see something original for once. You know, we've seen the same concepts hashed over again and again and again. I don't think it was brilliant, but I think for a younger audience particularly, this is going to go down really well.
3: It's written by a guy called, I've got to hopefully get his name up, writer Ritter Doyle. He's an American stand-up comic and he's an openly gay guy who moved to New York when he was quite young and I think he had a friend who was in sort of this this dominatrix world. don't think it's all verbatim what happened because it, it's all quite comic driven in terms of some of the sort of antics they get up to but it's based loosely on that. He also was saying uh, when he sort of was presenting this when it launched last week that he found it quite difficult. He hadn't had many relationships. He was, it was quite an eye-opener to move to kind of New York and to have all this kind of... Uh, sex sort of in his face, and he was quite a shy guy. And so it's about how he was kind of open to this world, and and I think he's kind of made fun of some of the experiences he had. So so it feels quite believable in a sort of hammed up slightly way. Only problem maybe is the beauty of the 16, 17 minutes is you can watch it very quickly, but at the same time you don't really get huge amounts of depth. I feel like the the main character, which is Pete, uh, played by Brendan scannell I feel like he's quite a well rounded character. I've only watched three episodes, but I feel like I've I've got a sort of uh, take on what he's like and his personality. Uh, The dominatrix sort of student, Tiff, she's played by Zoe Levine. And I'm not so sure whether that character is as perfectly rounded, maybe a little bit sort of comic or a little, you know, I don't feel I have really know that much about her. Obviously, in a normal programme, within an episode or two, you'd watch, say, two hours and you'd have a real handle on that. You're going to have watched the whole series by that point. So I think maybe if we get a second series of this, they could work on it a bit more, maybe even have a feature-length episode or something. There's definitely something there. I'm just not sure. It's, it's not perfect, but but it's definitely worth giving a go. I mean, it's, it's 16 minutes. You can, you can definitely give it a shot.
0: The central characters are really likeable. Like it's easy to root for them. The guy wants to be a stand-up and goes to a comedy night but just can't quite bring himself to get on stage he does that all the time he's kind of he's got a modesty about him that i think is very appealing uh, and even tiff who's the dominatrix she's not so wildly confident she has her own sort of insecurities as well i think
3: i think so, as it goes on maybe we're going to find out a bit more about that i definitely yeah. agree with that yeah um
0: so yeah they they're really easy to root for it's interesting this this program could not have happened before 50 shades of gray i don't think we've all become so much more relaxed with those kind of ideas I think and so so some of the language they use like some of the abbreviations like Saab and Dom and all this kind of stuff we we haven't really heard before Fifty Shades of Grey so it's interesting to see how these things have their ripples and their influences on popular culture and
3: it would have seemed I guess it would have seemed shocking a few maybe five ten years ago whereas now it it just sort of pops out there and there's no sort of oh this is really shocking type headlines or online or anything as you say That sex education even before it, I think, probably had more headlines for those reasons. This seems to have come out and people are excited to watch it, but there's not really any negativity around it at all. I think it would also, that in the old days, this would have sort of probably been on E4 or something like that and would fit really nicely for that type of audience. So I do think um, there's definitely going to be people younger than me, definitely, who are going to watch it and and enjoy it.
0: Well, from... This, I cannot think of a link yeah, between these two programs. Good luck. Uh, yeah, from one end of the spectrum to another, something like that, some link like that. Uh, let's talk about Bletchley Circle, San Francisco. What did you call this? Heartbeat with Codebreakers.
3: Yeah, you know a lot more about the Bletchley Circle than me. I'm quite new to this. It, and its it reminded me a bit of Heartbeat set in America. And obviously, yeah, they're they're code breakers. It's also quite weird because this is Fridays at nine o'clock. A, a slot Cold Feet went in for a while, I think, and, and, and struggled with. And we've only got four episodes here because I think the first half of this series went out about a year ago. And, and we've now got four parts. So... I don't feel like ITV necessarily are committing to this for the long term. I mean, what, what do you make of it?
0: Well, Bletchley Circle first time round was a massive hit. It was really popular, did well. And it's about four women in the UK. Just as the war had finished, they'd played this huge role in cracking the Enigma code. And then they had to go back to real life and then they got involved in cer- solving murders. It's a great classic ITV kind of concept and it worked and great women at the centre of it. Brilliant. Anna Maxwell-Martin was in it. Fantastic. Um, now, this spin-off to San Francisco... I feel is a bit ropey, if I'm honest. So two of the characters, Millie and Jean, for sorts of very flimsy reasons, decide to go off to America. And the the first part of that series, I can kind of see where they've chopped it in half because the first part is about them deciding to stay in America. And, uh, okay. you know, OK, yeah, we're, we're committed to this now. We're going to stay. And the second part, they're there. Murder comes calling for them and they have more more things to solve and more cases to get involved with. It's not bad. It's just not as good as it used to be. And I I think they shouldn't have scratched the itch of going back for a sequel.
3: But there are drugs involved. The storyline's not too bad. I was quite hooked on, you know, what was happening on there. They're they're obviously cracking some code. Surprise, surprise. Um, And to try and work out where these drugs have come from and who they're dealing with and and obviously trying to get an arrest as well. I didn't mind the storyline itself. The performances are okay. It's set in the 1950s. I'm sure there's a lot of people who like this kind of stuff. As I said, it reminded me a bit of Heartbeat. It's just not a Friday night show for me. This, if they're going to go with it, this should really be on a, on a Sunday night. I would have held this back and maybe done it at a Sunday at sort of 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock. And it feels like that's a natural home for this kind of show. I feel like anyone who does want to watch it probably isn't going to be watching it at that time. So hopefully some people will catch up on The Hub. But it feels like it's been sort of thrown away there. And I, I guess this probably will be the last time we see the Bletchley Circle, right? There, there's no plans for a new series. It's just going to go out with a bit of a whimper.
0: Now it's time once again to add to the list of box sets to watch before you die. Hope you're keeping a list. Each week, one of our favourite faces from the telly tells us a must-see series to watch. Last week, Alex Kingston chose ER, perhaps unsurprisingly, (laughs) and also The Looming Tower. This week, it's the turn of Carl Pilkington. I went to see him on set. He's filming Sick of It series two. And he was chatting to me about his box set to watch before you die.
1: All right. Um, Carl Pilkington here and the uh, box set that I'd say is worth watching is uh, Royal Family
0: Oh Dave show my mum what you can do with your finger that trick
1: Oh I like that Yeah oh. <laughs> oh. How long have you been able to do that Dave hmm. I think it was about last March or April Something like that yeah, Craig Cash, Carolina Hearn, Ralph Little and all that lot. It's just good.
2: Oh, nice one, Lecky! Hey brown sauce for I your own daddy. Oh.
0: Red for me, please, Budley.
2: Oh, we've been living Levit Loco now, Leah. Brown sauce, please.
1: <laughs> and for me it was just a bit of I could relate to it. It reminded me of growing up, where I grew up, uh the characters, the neighbours. I think that's when stuff works, doesn't it, if you can relate to the people in a story and, and all that lot.
2: Ooh, he's a big-headed get-him. It'll take him ten minutes to get in the bloody car with his bloody big head. He's a big-headed get-him, he never stop boasting his house, his car and his bloody yacht, even his poor bloody wine. And I tell you what, I'd love to meet bloody Joe Longthorn, but as for you, Dave Best. What? What, you were all over him like a bloody rass, you longly, lanky, whistling arse, old not I'm going upstairs. What for? What for? To check the helicopter pad for this next flying bloody visit?
1: If you haven't seen it, um, yeah, dig it, dig it. Do you say dig it out? What do you say these days? Bye. Download it, buy it. Um, royal Family. Um, yeah, enjoy it.
0: Good one. We like the Royal Family, don't we?
3: It's
1: just good. That's what
3: Carl said, and he's, he's right, isn't he? I mean... I feel like everyone should have watched this program when it was on BBC, but it, the original series ran 98 to 2000, and then we had the specials. So I guess if you are a bit half my age, which lots of people are now, then you, you won't maybe be into it. It's up though with the, the great BBC sitcoms, for me anyway, I don't know what you think.
0: Well, it totally redefined how you do a sitcom, didn't it? You know, it wasn't big belly laughs, it wasn't canned laughter, it was, you know, just some people sitting on a sofa watching telly, And you think, how can that be funny? But it is because it's got genius people in it. And Carolina Hearn is brilliant. The fact that she can just say, you know, I I saw Sue Johnson and and Ricky Tomlinson in Brookside. I always wanted them to be my parents in something. So I cast them in this brilliant sitcom. It was just a little bit of telly magic. I think it's a great choice from Carl.
3: And I think the other thing was for a long time, there was Christmas specials, not necessarily every year, but they used to sort of get together. It was part of christmas and it was one of those comedies which one of the last ones really that i really loved and really looked forward to at christmas time when it when it came back and then caroline died in 2016 there was talk there were they were even going to do another one after that or maybe there was one in the offing so it's a real shame and it feels like it's sort of a a time capsule now i can't see that they would ever do one without her brilliant writing her and craig cash were the sort of the main writers i think it's just just one of those things where it was brilliant of its time and it it will never it will never come back now and if for some reason you missed it first time around um, as Carl says, it was definitely worth checking out, and and you can watch it on Netflix at the moment,
0: and always on UK Gold. Always, it, it's on. always somewhere. If it's not that, it's Gavin and Stacey, which is also great. Someone will put that one day, right? Thank you very much to Carl for that. Sick of It series two will be out soon. It's in production now. That's written by and starring Carl, and the first series, if you want to check that out, is on demand on Sky. There'll be another box set to watch before you die next week. So we're nearly out of time for this week's episode. But as ever, we need to scan across our EPGs and hazard a little guess at what we'll be talking about, not just next week, but also next month and next year. Jeffers, even with your limited post-marathon powers, I know this is going to be amazing. Many people's favourite part of the podcast. Here we go. What should we be keeping an eye on next week?
3: So, next week, Monday and Tuesday night at 9 o'clock, we've got the all new Monty. This is men and women, famous faces bearing all, but it's for an important cause. It's all to do with um, health checks for prostate cancer, breast cancer, and they're going to be raising money as well. You've got Ashley Banjo doing the choreography and uh, we've got celebrities taking part, including Victoria Derbyshire and Martina Navratilova.
0: Brilliant, and Victoria's going to be on the podcast next week talking about that, looking forward to that. How about next month?
3: I'm cheating a little bit because it's just past the month, but we have got Big Little Lies coming back season two. Very exciting. Love it. It's got the US premiere date of June the 9th. Because of the time difference here, it'll be June the 10th here, early hours of the morning, and then there's going to be a repeat in prime time on June the 10th. That's on Sky Atlantic and Now TV.
0: So just like Game of Thrones, you'll be able to get up and watch it really early.
3: Exactly the same. Yeah, I think it's 2am, but yeah, it has got that prime time slot on the Monday as well. So I can't wait to watch that.
0: Me too. Meryl Streep's going to be in it. It's going to be brilliant. Right, next year.
3: Yeah, the last one today, we've got the English game. This is a new Julian Fellows drama. It's about the origins of football and there's been some casting news this week. We've got a friend of the podcast, Craig Parkinson, he's going to be in it. Edward Holcroft from Kingsman and Charlotte Hope, who was in Les Mis. So it's a decent cast. And Julian Fellows generally with these period drama stuff, he knows what he's doing. So I think that could be pretty decent. That's a six-parter, probably be out middle of next year, I think.
0: Does he know anything about football, though?
3: Oh, well, he doesn't strike me as a massive football fan, does he? You know, compared to someone like Susanna, who I know goes a lot. But it would be the historical aspects, I think, of how it started and how it, how it began. And he, he generally knows his stuff when it comes to that
0: excellent lots for us to look forward to then not least all big little lies can't wait that's all we've got time for this week this has been the series linked podcast if you've enjoyed it and obviously we really hope that you have please go on give us a five star rating and a review if you're feeling nice and make sure you've subscribed as well so the next episode is ready and waiting for you when it drops next tuesday for now though bye bye
3: see you next week
2: Membership fees apply after free trial. Cancel any time. Can I be real with you for a second? That goal you have to exercise and eat better? You really can do it, but nobody is going to do it for you. Nobody is going to push you out of bed to work out. Nobody is going to make you eat better. But here's the thing. Nobody has to, because you can do it if you have the right tools and a community that cares about helping you get results. And that's us, Beachbody. Go to Beachbody.com to claim your free membership and start feeling great.